The Only Warrior Cats podcast strives to be family-friendly, but we may cover themes not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. So, Zoe. Yes. Do you think the world will end in fire, or do you think it will end in ice? Oh my gosh. I think it will end in ice. That's my hot take. I mean, like, the opposite of a hot take, because it's very cold. Uh, What do you think, Jose? Will the world end in fire or ice? The way we're going, probably fire. Yeah, but you know, ice is also great and would suffice. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Zoe's gonna kill me. Welcome to the only Warrior Cats podcast. We are the only Warrior Cats podcast, and this is the show where two Warrior Cats veterans read through each of the books with their new-to-the-series friend and help initiate him into the world of the Warrior Cats. I am Zoe B, and I am joined today by my two absolutely wonderful co-hosts, Lola Sebastian and Jose. Hello! Hey, everyone! So today we are going to be discussing the second book in the series, Fire and Ice. And if you have missed our first episode where we talked about the first book, then go ahead and check it out. It will be linked wherever things are linked in uh, during podcasts. Give me just a second. Yes, honey. Oh, what is... <gasps> Ooh! Thank you! Aw, thank you. I love you. Did he bring you a drink? He did. Aw. So, Jose, would you like to summarize what the heck even happened in this second installment of the series? Yeah, this one was pretty intense. Uh, It wasn't quite as busy as the first book, since it assumes we have some understanding of what this is all about. But okay, this will be fire and ice as quickly as I can summarize it. Good luck. Godspeed. So we open up with three clans now left in the woods, and that means they're one clan short. When they go to their big meeting and all the clans are talking, Shadow Clan and River Clan are ready to take over Wind Clan's territory, but Blue Star steps up and says, you know, Star Clan said there should be four clans, so we should make sure there are four clans and bring Wind Clan back. The the other two clans kind of agree, and that means Blue Star is sending out Fireheart and Graystripe to go find Wind Clan. Wind Clan's been living on the margins and they're they're having hard times living near Thunderpath. And luckily Fireheart and Graystripe find them. This convinced them to come back to the woods now that Shadow Clan is no longer tearing things up. For some reason, on the way back, Fireheart decides to take a detour into River Clan territory with some Wind Clan warriors. Don't know what he was thinking, but they get into a fight, and Graystripe accidentally kills one of the warriors from River Clan. So things are getting pretty bad between Thunder Clan and River Clan now. Blue Star decides that Fireheart and Graystripe, for their screw up, they now get to be mentors and are given a couple of cats to train. It goes so so, except Graystripe nearly drowns at one point. But he's rescued by a River Clan cat, Silverstream, and the two, unbeknownst to Fireheart at the time, eventually fall in love. Fireheart finds out. He disapproves. He thinks it's wrong to be dating outside the clan. But, you know, Fireheart's doing stuff of his own, too. He's hanging out with his old kitty pet sister, Princess. And he's starting to learn, you know, maybe the clan, maybe we shouldn't always stick with the clan. So as things continue to get worse between ThunderClan and RiverClan, everyone's getting sick at ThunderClan. They're about to go to war, but the river dethawed, so they didn't. Uh, but Blue Star still gets sick enough that she dies down. She's down to her last life. And uh, Cinderpaw, because Blue Star is out of action, tries to step up. Uh, Cinderpaw, by the way, is uh, Fireheart's apprentice. She gets run over by a car and lives, thankfully. Her injured leg means she'll never be a warrior. So Fireheart's sister, Princess, shows up 
and drops off her firstborn and asks Fireheart to take charge of the kid. He's adopted into the clan after some belly aching from certain people because he's the a child of a kitty pet. He joins in anyway, and like I said, tensions are high. ThunderClan's out on the prowl patrolling, trying to keep things safe. That's when Broken Star and his goons attack ThunderClan with only Fireheart there to protect them. A big fight breaks out. Uh, they manage to drive them off. Uh, although in the fight, Clawface gets taken out and Broken Star is captured. It looks like ThunderClan is safe. And the story's almost over, except no, it's not, because WindClan is under attack by WaterClan and ShadowClan. ThunderClan rides to the rescue. It helps fight back the two clans. Let's not moralize them. Uh, and when it looks like Fireheart is going to attack Silverstream, he backs off and realizes, hey, gray stripes in love, and I shouldn't like get in the way of that. Their friendship is mended, and all the while, Tiger Claw is watching on, becoming increasingly suspicious of Fireheart. And I think that was all Fire and Ice. Woohoo! Great Amazing. job! In- incredible job! Very efficient. They should hire you on the wiki. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Oh my god, yeah. I, I I glance at the wiki and it's like a phone book. I can't believe the, they go into so much detail. You guys know Jenny Nicholson's Vampire Diaries one, where she's like, I tried to read the fan wiki, but it was written too beautifully to be understood. I feel that way about the Warriors wiki. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, where would you like to even begin with this mess of a book? So you wrote that it, it picks up Right after the first book. Yes. So the first book ends with Firepaw becoming Fireheart. And in the universe of the clans, when you become a warrior, when you go from Paw to whatever your full warrior name is, you have to spend an entire night on vigil, meditation and reflecting on your role in the clan and thinking about like what kind of cat you want to be. And this book picks up with that vigil happening. You know, the last book ended with the naming ceremony, went right into the vigil. This book picked up right there. So we really do open with this introspection on the part of Fireheart and thinking about who he's going to be and what he's going to do and what his life has been like for these past several months, which does work well, I guess, as a (laughs) refresher for the events Um, of the previous book. So I did have a bit of a question early on when we first see them going to the meeting of the four trees Mm -hmm. or whatever it's called. Cat United Nations. (laughs) The four nations. What I was wondering about Blue Star and the more this book honestly did not do Blue Star a lot of favors (laughs) in my uh, my estimation of her. No. When it started off I like I get her standing up for Wind Clan but her reasoning is kind of weak and it's sort of traced throughout this book. I think Blue Star really only understands things through the lens of prophecy and through some sort of appeal to mysticism or tradition or the way things should be in the forest. We see it again later when Cloudpaw is possibly going to be, or the cat who would be Cloudpaw is being considered uh, like a choice or an option to join ThunderClan. And Blue Star is again like, well... Normally we wouldn't, but he does have the right blood, so maybe. Everything about Blue Star, I don't know. She seemed like, in the previous book, someone who was more willing to see things differently, and she was just sort of at the mercy of the clan rules. In this one, she seemed more like she's trying to uphold clan rules and order. I think that's Blue Star's main character conflict, is she's torn between like her values and wanting to uphold the values of her society. But also, I've, I think she's a really interesting character. She's not very comfortable with emotionality, but she's totally comfortable with mysticism. Mm-hmm. 
so like she doesn't buy appeals to emotion she's like ravenpaw would probably be better off because he was a a little wimpy coward a scaredy cat if you will yeah exactly a scaredy cat but whenever there's a prophecy she's like oh snap you guys we better listen star clan's wisdom and all that yeah she felt she felt very like cold in this book like more so than in the last one kind of icy for instance yeah she's the ice fireheart is the fire you know what that's something i noticed is there's lots of like fire cats generally you know we have cats with prefixes and suffixes like blaze or flame like basically all of the orange cats but do we have ice cats uh actually lola clouds are made of ice tiny little icy particles which i'm sure the cats know could you rephrase that with an appeal to mysticism, please? Because I don't, I don't understand. I was told in a vision <laughs> by the spirits of the sky that they live in a world of jagged, icy particulates that he spread like a blanket over the heavens. Fireheart is like a citation needed, and Blue Star is like it was revealed to me in a dream. <laughs> Also, I laughed so hard how at the beginning of the book, when you read the character descriptions, he's referred to as a handsome ginger Tom. They needed to let you know that he was good looking. It's funny because they're all just cats. Like, we think all cats are cute. But they're like, we need you to know that this cat is considered good looking by the other cats. I don't know. As someone who has two different orange tabbies who are very... Like, all orange cats are relatively similar in that they're all real dumb and just absolutely full of love <laughs> and joy. But my two boys, they look very different. Where Desmond, he is the fat cat that shows up in a lot of my videos. He is very traditionally attractive as far as cats go, I think. Where he has very like round features. He looks very, almost like a lion. He has like lion-esque kind of features. He is beautiful. He is. He is very handsome. Uh, but Charlie looks like a gremlin. Uh, in that he is much more like angular and his eyes rather than being, you know, the traditional kind of like quote unquote cat eyes that are almondy shaped, they're almost perfect circles, which looks uh bold of you to assume <laughs> that cats would have the same beauty standards as humans. Oh, I mean, I don't I don't know which of them would be deemed attractive by other cats, but if it were a competition between, you know, which of my cats do I think that most humans would find cuter, not even a competition. In the books, it'll be like, Silverstream is this sleek, like, sexy cat. And then, like, you look at her, like, the illustration of her, and she's just like a cute little cat. Pretty average, kind of fuzzy, kind of plump. I would think that cats would also consider what the other cats smell like yeah. or something. Not just looking at them and be like, that's a sexy cat. Well, it makes me curious as to what Gray Stripe's deal is. That he's like okay with the fact that like he has a girlfriend who's slimy. <laughs> you know, she's kind of damp. She smells like fish. And he's like, yeah, I'm okay with that. I think we should try not to yuck anyone's yums oh on God. this podcast. So Gray Stripe, just follow your heart. I feel like this was the first book that actually gave Gray Stripe a bit of a character. Because he was just kind of... <laughs> Fireheart's buddy in the first yeah, book. Yeah, but I one of my concerns with this book, I, as we will talk about later, <laughs> had some issues with this book. More issues with this one than the first one. Me as well. Also, I think at the end of this episode, we should do a like rating. Like now that we've read the first one, when we have sort of like a baseline, I think that we should start like ranking them almost. Sure. Um. So one of my issues with this book, 
one of my many issues, was Greystripe's <laughs> characterization. He, in this book, I think was very, at least for the first third or so of the book, before all of this stuff with White Claw and Silverstream happens, he's just kind of oblivious. We don't need to beat around the bush. He's Ron Weasley the cat. Yeah, he is. And it's funny because Fireheart is not Harry Potter the cat. No. I feel like he's got a pretty strong and distinct personality from book one. Yeah. But Greystripe is just Ron Weasley the cat a lot of the time. He just felt very weak and not not in like an actual, you know, strength kind of way. Like clearly he was able to, you know, throw somebody off a cliff. But uh, <laughs> but no, I, I think that he's just not a good character in this book. I think they were just like, okay, kids love friendly, bubbly, outgoing characters. So, like, kids who read are bookish and introverted and they want to be reminded of their best friends who pressure them in real life. So they were like, we need to accentuate Graystripe's personality. Which is interesting because the first two books were written by Kate Carey. She wrote both of them. Hmm. So the characterization shifting is a little bit mysterious because you can't chalk it up to like, well, maybe it was a different author because it wasn't. They were. It was both the same author. Yeah, that is odd. Yeah, I would have guessed this one maybe had a different author just... From mm -hmm. the vibe of it, it wasn't entirely consistent. Yeah, with the I agree first book. that the the voice sounded a little different. Uh, I think the technical writing was better in this one. There were two mistakes that I caught, and I, I'm not. This is not a cinema sin situation. That is, this Ding. is not like I understand. You know, these books came out before the series exploded in popularity. Ding. Oh, that was awful. <laughs> so, like, you know, I don't want to be too harsh on these books. I get it. Stuff happens near the beginning. On page 12 and 18, there is a sentence or two that is repeated. Uh, on page 12, it says, Redtail had been the ThunderClan deputy before Tigerclaw. Fireheart had never met him, but he knew Redtail had been deeply respected by all the clan. And then on page 18, it says, Redtail had been the ThunderClan deputy before Lionheart. Fireheart had never met him, but he knew Redtail had been deeply respected by all the clan. That's bizarre. Yeah, I know. And like, when I read it, I was like, wait, 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 wait. Did I just have the weirdest deja vu? Are all of these words starting to run together? Or did I actually literally just read this? <laughs> I noticed a few small errors. Um, they refer to one eye as a tom, which is like, nope. Tom means male cat. Is one eye a female cat? I don't remember. Yep. Ah. They're talking about her being like the old brown queen or something like that in the first book. And then in this one, they referred to her as a Tom and mm. I had to look it up. Because I was like, am I getting people mixed up here? No. Also, um, they say it's been six moons since Spotted Leaf was killed. And they said it was three moons since Broken Star was driven out. These two things happened on the same day, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure these books are being carefully plotted. How dare you? This is why I don't write high fantasy. Oh my gosh, I should mention, um, so the original Warrior Cats book was not called Warriors, it was called Warrior Cats, the very first edition of Into the Wild. It was Warrior Cats Into the Wild, and it came with free tattoos, <gasps> like temporary tattoos. And I would just like to like put a call to action out there. <laughs> We want to know what the temporary tattoos that came with that looked like because I have not been able to track them down. If anyone listening to this was part of that first wave and was able to get their hands on that edition, please send us an email. I want to know if those temporary tattoos are worth turning into real tattoos. <gasps> oh my gosh. 
That's a long-term Patreon goal. If we can get up to 10,000 people supporting us on Patreon, one of us will get tattooed. Okay, yeah, I would do that. By the end of this, when we've read all of these books and spent like two or three years talking about them, we're going to have to get matching Warrior Cats tattoos. No, we need to get tattoos that when we join them together, make like a bigger thing. (gasps) Or we could each get one of the clans tattooed on us. But there have to be four clans and there's only three of us. Yeah, Star Clan was very clear about Star this. Star Clan was very clear. Well, then we could all get the Star Clan symbol. No, see, we have to come up with our own clan and with its own symbol. Podcast clan. <laughs> okay. Um. So one of the things that really struck me about this book, we, we, we were talking about Fireheart's characterization and how he has a pretty consistent character and he's a pretty positive like he's a good character he's fun he's likable i really like his character but in this book there is this one particular character quirk that i noticed and i kind of think it's gross fireheart is obsessed with pregnancy and babies and pregnant cats. Yes, he is. And I think it's weird. That's even weirder than Graystripe's fetishes <laughs> for stinky fish girls. Which we are not shaming. I will not kink shame. I will say I have, I'm less kind towards Fireheart because one of the pregnant cats in question is his sister. Uh, and that's Ew. not good. Related but separate question also. Princess. Can we just take a second and talk about Princess? Yeah, we can. In my notes, I have written down Princess is kind of unsettling. She feels like an alien. Can I just say I don't buy her existence? Yeah. And I don't think she comes back either. I don't remember well enough. Which is kind of bizarre. He's like, oh my god, wait a second, I have a sister. And I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. It's like a sister ex machina. It is a sister ex machina. I'm like, you do not have a sister. Because the only cat who told you not to go into the forest in the first book was Smudge. Well, they try and give it a backstory in this one where he remembers being a kid with his mother and there were other cats there and they all got split up. I mean, I guess that happened, but how long ago was that? And how well do cats remember their first yeah, few so weeks? Weird. I think all of this can be explained by the fact that canonically he's a Capricorn. <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> Are you a Capricorn? I'm not. My husband is. Capricorns are wonderful and we love them. Well, Joanna Newsom is a Capricorn, so I can forgive Capricorns generally. I See, here's the thing is, I think he's actually, he must be a Sagittarius since that's a fire sign, but dumb. Ah. Yeah, he's also such a hypocrite too. Oh, with the whole like going to see Princess while getting mad at Graystripe for going to see his fish lady. Yeah, what the heck? It's weird that he doesn't figure out the hypocrisy there. Like it was so obvious while I was reading that. I'm like, Fireheart, you know, throwing you're throwing stones at a glass house here. He does later, like eventually realize like, oh, maybe this isn't right. But yeah, early on, it's like, dude, come on. Does he ever formally apologize either? I don't believe so. Yeah. I think his apology was not clawing Silverstream in the face, which seems kind of fireheart to me, so. (laughs) Sorry, but sometimes you have to apologize to your bros. You do. Near the beginning, before they got into this weird kerfuffle argument, cold shoulder thing. One of my notes is that I think that these books do a really great job of showing very positive male friendships because they're cats and because, at least in this universe of these books, cats' relationships are built on a lot of like tactile, like there's a lot of touching. That's the whole sharing of tongues thing where they just groom each other and hang out and gossip and that's just normal 
casual time stuff. Graystripe and Fireheart both spend a lot of time like sleeping next to each other and nuzzling each other and just touching a lot. And I think that that's a very positive thing is to see, you know, platonic male friendships where there is touching and kindness and a lot of talking to each other about how much you care about the other one. I think that's great. And I think that this whole squabble that they went through throughout this book was just silly. One of the things that I really, really liked about this book is right at the end, maybe not right at the end, but near the end, I think it's when they are about to attack Wind Clan and Greystripe tells Fireheart that he would die for him. And that just, I got a little emotional. It was, it was very sweet, I think. To continue the, and I'm sorry to do this. I'm sorry to do this, but to continue the Harry Potter mm, comparisons, if Greystripe is Ron Weasley, this whole book was serving like Goblet of Fire when the two of them are just kind of like constantly bickering mm -hmm. for no reason. Oh yeah. Yeah, which I get it. That's a thing that happens in friendships. I'm sure lots of little boys reading this like related to it. At the same time, it, it just it felt way too early in the series for that because I don't know about you guys, but I felt like I'm not invested enough in their friendship. Yeah. Especially with the two of them sharing the cover art, which by the way, the cover art for this is one of my favorites of all the books. And I highly recommend looking up the textless covers because you can find just the art for these books online and it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. But yeah, did they really need to have conflict in the second book where they're best pals apparently they did i don't know who made that decision but it was certainly a decision that was made i would say don't call it a comeback <laughs> because it is not a comeback i uh it's good soft one <laughs> sophomore slump i think is what they call this so okay so what is the deal with Fireheart's obsession with pregnancy and babies and all that stuff. Are they trying to tell us that he's like become sexually mature? Is that it? Yeah, I mean, is it that like he wants children? Like, is it that sort of like fixation, you know, where he's realizing like, I have the power to, to make this thing happen? Or is it something different? I mean, he also becomes a mentor in this book as well, taking Cinderpaw under his paw and starts becoming a bit of a, I think it's about him growing into a leader and becoming something of a patriarch which would match with the whole fatherly vibe thing that he has throughout the book I just think mm. it's fascinating that they jump straight from like coming of age into like now you're a parent I mean in the animal kingdom that is often how it works yeah but like these are anthropomorphic animals what no, this is perfectly zoologically accurate. <laughs> Do we need to have a whole book where Fireheart goes off to the other side of the Thunderpath and just backpacks around trying to discover himself? <laughs> yeah, you'd say that as a joke, but there are books like that later in the series. So, you know. Literally. Well, I'm looking forward to that. We're going to be reading one of them sooner than you might think. Well, that's why Fireheart is the chosen one. He slides right into that role, I guess. But it is interesting, right? Because he's like a chosen one, but he's he is also completely socially conscious and I can't think of a single other character who's like that if that makes sense because it's like usually chosen ones are the chosen ones because they have something that sets them apart from their society and Fireheart's whole desire is to integrate actually I don't know if that's entirely accurate because I noticed Fireheart's responsible for a couple of outsiders being brought into the clan like Yellowfang and Cloudpaw and even like trying wanting to stay close to Cinderpaw it feels like in some ways he's trying to change the clan to be a bit more a bit more inclusive to other cats and like he's okay with 
Ravenpaw taking off and doing his own thing as a solo cat. He's also one of the only people who is, I think, in fact, he's the only cat who is not pro-war with River Clan. Like when when he and Sandpaw go out and they, you know, find that the river is frozen over and they come rushing back and Sandpaw is all like gung-ho and tells Blue Star, we need to attack now because the river is frozen so we can get to their territory. And Firepaw or Fireheart is the only one who's like, um, I'm not sure. Well, I guess except except Graystripe. Because Graystripe, the only reason that he cares is because he has a girlfriend. Fireheart seems to think everyone can just get along too. Like when they're cutting back through River Clan territory, I was immediately like, oh, that's a bad idea. But he's like, well, we're doing this mission with their knowledge, right? They'll be fine with us cutting through our ter- their territory. Like, of course not, Fireheart. Of course they're not. Yeah, but you're a he warrior just thinks, like, now. They should all get along. <laughs> He's just, this is the thing is he's like, I don't want us to defund the police. I just think they need better training. You know, he's one of those where I feel yeah. like. He's the good apple exactly. in his mind. He's like, I can change the system from the inside. And I'm like, listen, he doesn't want to lead a revolution. He just wants to like be nice to people generally, which is great and everything. But compared to, this is the thing is it is more aligned with like children's books than fantasy narratives where someone steps in and changes the whole thing. Like he's certainly not going to destroy the ring of power. He's just going to be like, what if we were just nice to each other during the battle of five armies? The prophecy is he is to save the clan, right? Not change it or destroy it. And granted, this Mm. is only book two of his whole arc. So his worldview right now is not complete but at the same time it's like dude it gets a little old for me when he feels like he can break the rules and it's okay but no one else can yeah he's like well i can just walk over whoever's borders because we're all friends why are you attacking me i'm baby and it's like dude are you baby or are you a dad (laughs) it's like yeah we uh, accidentally killed one of the warriors but uh you know, I think I'm ready to be a mentor. I love Cinderpaw. Cinderpaw is one of the best characters. I love her so much. I completely agree. I feel like Cinderpaw is kind of what Graystripe should be. Yeah, like full of energy, kind of chaotic, a bundle of joy. Peppy and enthusiastic and curious. and She had the most kitten-like personality out of all the cats yeah. I found. How did we feel about the pacing of this one? Awful. So bad. <laughs> I did not like how this book was written, okay? This is, the first one got a pass because, you know, it's the first book. I understand it has to do the world building. This one, okay, Jose, let me just say your summary of the plot was wonderful. It was concise, but I think this plot was nothing. (laughs) This plot was like the least plot plot ever. I agree. Lola, something you and I have talked about before is how there's this sort of like obsession with a singular concept of what story arcs should look like, where we have this, you know, three-act structure, the hero's journey, like there's this one model for what story should look like. And I am not a fan of that. Um, I think that we should be free to tell stories in a variety of different and experimental ways. But I don't think this book is a good example of a of an experimental alternate structure. No, I agree because it's, I feel like it didn't even succeed at a strong three-act structure. No, it didn't do anything. I was getting really confused towards the end when like Broken Star just like shows up with his bros to like attack Thunderclan. I'm like, oh, I guess this is happening. 
And then it's like, oh, wait, there's still more book, but they just, oh, wait, now they have to go help Winkla now. Uh, all right. And then it's just over. And then, yeah. Then they, they chase him away at the end. Like nothing was solved. And like, even at the beginning, like the first, I don't know, I didn't count the number of pages, but the first few dozen pages, it's like housekeeping of, you know, making sure that you know who has apprentices and like where, you know, Fireheart is in his journey of being a mentor. Then it's just Fireheart complaining that he needs to go talk to Blue Star, but he he can't talk to Blue Star because she's constantly, she constantly has Tiger Claw there. And it's like, okay, you need to talk to Blue Star. I get it. Okay, that's a that's fine as far as conflict. And then it's just solved meaninglessly with like, it's, it's not even like solved in a creative way or a, like he doesn't actually have to like solve any problems or think creatively in order to be able to talk to Blue Star. It's just like, oh, a situation came up where I was able to talk to Blue Star. So what was the point of having this be this whole extended conflict of this first part of the book? That's what made me think this might have a different author because it felt like that whole revealing the truth to Blue Star was a plot point that this author just didn't want to deal with. So Fireheart tells her and she's like, eh, whatever. And they just move on. And I'm like, okay. Same thing about Ravenpaw. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah. we told them you're dead. And he's like, eh, okay, probably for the best. And I was like, what? <laughs> huh? The skull like really that's your reaction mm, yeah like this one has more action than the first but that doesn't mean it's more interesting correct like it just felt like there were no stakes to anything like there was just nothing really important that happened well the conflict of this book is the same as the first yeah it's like with the added graystripe has a sorry if you can hear penelope graystripe that's has okay. a girlfriend and he and Fireheart are having a conflict. You know what I mean? But like other than the interpersonal conflicts, the political conflict has not changed at all. Yeah, I was really hoping Shadow Clan might turn a corner here and become a different kind of clan, but it seems even with a different leadership, they're still the scheming ones and River Clan still seem like opportunists and Wind Clan is just back. Uh, I don't know. They weren't there in the first book, so I guess now they're back, which is like a status quo to before we even started the series. The, the marketing, like if I go to the back of the book, with the chill of winter setting in, the cats of rival River Clan are growing restless, while Wind Clan is weak and facing threats from all sides. And I'm like, that's not any different from book one, though. Like you're <laughs> you're acting like River Clan are the latest threat and alliances have shifted, but they didn't. Maybe it's making a commentary about politics and how they really are not really changing. It's just the appearance of change when it's just a continuous experience of different clans fighting each other for dumb reasons. I mean, we can respect the fact that political conflicts carry through multiple books in Warriors and that they are all interrelated to the entire clan history. And but. I can I can see Zoe being <laughs> like, I don't I don't have to appreciate that if it's poorly written. No, I mean I I do think <laughs> that the like bigger arcs and the like once we've read like once we finished this saga and you know we can look back on the whole like the full six book first series I think we'll get a better appreciation hopefully uh for what this book was setting up or at least like continuing but as its own thing it just it doesn't feel like a very good standalone story I think that it will feel better when we can see it as a piece of a larger story. Series one, this is the one that launched Warriors into mm -hmm. being like a phenomenon. And I'm surprised by this because I, you know, maybe this is just my like childish nostalgia, but I feel like these are not the best Warriors books. Yeah, 
again, I, I have not, I think I reread the first one a couple of times just out of nostalgia reasons, but outside of the first book, I have not reread any of these since I first read them as a child, like 15 years ago, so. So I have this friend and she's done a lot of work on children's literature and she wanted to remind me um, that the ethos of British children's literature is often about like life as misery and like <laughs> adequately preparing children for the fact that life is not gonna be fun, which as an American child, was not the predominant cultural norm, but I also, reading this book, it made me recognize that a lot of the stories I was drawn to as a kid, um, Charles Dickens or Little Orphan Annie, are about like people who are living in hard circumstances. Mm -hmm. Well, they do make comments about how the feral cats, or I should say the clan cats, are all so much thinner and more gamey than the, the kitty pets. Like The contrast between Fireheart and Princess was pretty stark. She seemed to be living a good life, whereas... He was not, even though he at least is happy because he's free, I guess. There's, there is that kind of mindset that pervades these books. The idea that living a comfortable life is not necessarily a more full life because it's not as exciting. Zoe! I, I Yeah, I don't <laughs> know how much of this you guys like want to get into, but... Let's do it. So I, all three of us, uh, listeners, for those of you who may not be aware, all three of us are video essayists on the YouTube. I, at one point, made a video analyzing a particular conservative argument that pain is a good thing, actually, um, and that pain is sort of like required to have a fulfilled life, and that trying to avoid pain means that you are cowardly and naive and, you know, want everything to be handed to you and you, you just want stuff to be easy. I think that that's just a really interesting perspective. And that's why I made a whole video about it, because it's just, there's a lot of depth and stuff that you can kind of dig your teeth into in that sort of argument. I do think it's interesting, Lola, that you bring it up here or bring up a similar thing here in these books, because yeah, I mean, I, I do see a lot of those kinds of parallels here. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's just, I don't know, I don't like the sort of insidious, the like almost Protestant work ethic that these cats have that you have to go through this pain and you have to make sacrifices in order to have this life that is bigger than yourself. You know, I mean, that's the whole like Star Clan thing. Like you have to make these sacrifices if you want to be a part of that. And it's nefarious, I think, because it, it does have these, you know, undertones of forcing people to go through negative things and telling them to shut up and appreciate it. I had an extremely religious upbringing, which probably explains a lot about who I am. Um, and the term Protestant work ethic has been applied to me a lot. I come from a family of workaholics and I see a lot of my family's worst tendencies in these books, which is maybe what resonated with me about them when I was a kid because I'm from a family that's very Lutheran on one side and very Catholic on the other, both of whom Oof. are very like no nonsense. There's a lot of... Um, toxic positivity and there's also a lot of um <laughs> repression of feelings so i understand as an adult i'm kind of an emotionally um i can be kind of an emotionally distant person and i can also work way too hard when it totally doesn't matter but the the promise of both a lot of religious movements and also fascism is it's like all of your hard work and all of your pain and suffering means something 
which is very comforting mm-hmm. when you're a child, but rereading it as an adult, I'm like, does it though? Because as an adult, I notice how arbitrary this world is. Like, why? what are you killing yourself for? Well, it's usually someone who's getting some kind of value off of that suffering. If you're working really hard and creating all this value, there's someone who's going to reap the benefit of that if you're working for them. I mean, the whole hard times makes hard men things <laughs> a fascist meme at this point too, for a similar reason. They need you to feel like your suffering is actually a good thing. Never mind the fact that they're just the reason you're suffering is because someone like that is in power. But so who is reaping the rewards from the cat suffering? I don't know if we're far enough to know that yet, or at least I'm not far enough. But right now, I'm giving some side eye to Star <laughs> Clan and uh, anyone with Star in their mm. name. Like they're suffering in order to maintain this structure that keeps the powerful in power. Yeah. Although in the case of Blue Star, at least she's not doing a very good job because <laughs> it's all falling apart around her. And uh, it looks like Tiger Claws on the Ascent. Uh, I'd watch her back at this point, Blue Star. But Zoe, you had mentioned appeals to like biology, mm-hmm. like the rhetoric of what is natural, which mm-hmm. is so interesting to me because now as an adult, I also notice that the way that the forest works is also very idealized. Well, and like one thing that I noted um, near the beginning is when Wind Clan is living out by the Thunder Path, the what do they call it? A tangle of Thunder Paths, which I'm assuming is sort of like a an interstate or a highway or something. They sort of turn their noses up at eating rats. And I like I understand that rats, at least in our popular conception of them, they tend to carry more diseases than other animals. I don't actually know if that's true or if that's just a myth that we've kind of placed onto them. But I know that rats are considered dirtier than other animals. And I thought it was really interesting that cats would also consider that to be true. I don't know that it's true. I feel like rats are just as good as any other forest creature. I always thought when it came to rats, the reason they were thought that way is because they were carriers for the Black Plague. Mm. And it just, it did a lot to hurt the, the reputation of rats out there. I love rats. This is a pro-rat podcast. Haven't you guys ever seen um, the Ratatouille DVD bonus feature, Your Friend the Rat? Yeah, thought so. <laughs> no, but it is very weird because like my beautiful um, Star Clan warrior, Sparky, he, he killed tons of rats. It was like his main thing. That struck me as particularly weird. And there's, you know... Blue Star is also attacked by vicious rats in the first book mm-hmm. and like dies. Anti-rat agenda in the Warrior Cats books. Cancelled. Problematic. I'm looking up to see if rats are more dangerous in the UK than they are in the US. Because I, I wonder if there is like a marked difference between the varieties of rat they have and the varieties of rat that we have. We can tie this into um, the uh, Graystripe X Fireheart bromance thing but um i enjoy how much time they spend napping yeah i love how every chapter it's like but then he was getting sleepy so he curled up on the cozy moss and (laughs) cozy core cottage core all tuckered out i almost said canonically when i meant like something that is real in real life whatever (laughs) the real life canon is yeah is zoology just the irl warrior cat canon yeah absolutely In real life, uh, cats do sleep like two thirds of the day. Like cats biologically are just very sleepy and that's great. (laughs) 
I enjoy that the Warriors books aren't like, yeah, so in the morning, all the cats get up and then at night they go to bed. It's more so like they tend to be asleep at night and awake during the day because that's the best time for hunting, but they can also just go take a nap. No one like chastises them for taking a nap. They're just napping. Mm -hmm. Except Tiger Claw because he's ambitious. Isn't that the word they always use in children's books to mean that person is evil? ambition never be friends with someone who's ambitious that means they're a murderer yeah pro tip that's the other thing too is it's like you have to work hard in this society you need to be the best of the best but if you have ambitions you're looking above your station and that's not appropriate which is very british to be fair and it's also kind of not to bring everything back to the fascism stuff but it's also a little bit it has some elements of fascism where it's you know, you need to know your place and your station is whatever you were born into. And that gets sort of back into that like biological element and the, the bioessentialism of your genes and the the situation that you were born into is destiny. No, it's like the the something of your birth the station determines is that what the it station is? Station of your birth. Maybe. That doesn't sound right, but it's there's it not a lot matter. of economic mobility in <laughs> in warriors, which is funny because they're all just cats. Well, and it's like they have this idea that your clan is a fundamental biological part of who you are, and that's so insidious. Like, there's a, a couple of quotes that I wrote down near the middle of the book where Tiger Heart is reminiscing on what it means to be a clan cat while he is talking to Princess. He says, he caught a glimpse of what the clan cats must take for granted. The closeness of kinship, a common bond determined by birth and heritage. Mm -hmm. Now, this might be a little too oversensitive. Uh, And also this book was written in 2000, in the early 2000s. But the word heritage, I think is a red flag, just generally. Well, and so later, he just a couple pages after the line that I just read, he also says, were the deep-rooted memories he shared with Princess stronger than his loyalty to the clans? There's this idea of like your blood being this like all-powerful connection that connects you to the people that share that blood. And like, I, you know, I understand the idea of blood relatives and you know, even in most like Western countries, we have this idea as part of our culture that like birth parents are more like you you have this closeness to your birth parents that can never be replicated by your, you know, step parents or adopted parents or what have you. And it's it's gross. Like blood is not that kind of powerful thing. You see this later also with Greystripe, because this is not just Fireheart. You know, I think this is something that is shared across all of the cats, where Greystripe, when talking about Silverstream and why they're so compatible, he says, we share the same thoughts as if we were born into the same clan. And it's like, why? I don't really know what that means, first of all. Which I found (laughs) so romantic as a child. I had literally like pasted that line on my wall. As a kid, like, I wrote it out on a little piece of paper because, like, it's so romantic. But is it, though? No, no, as an adult, I'm like, "Mm." (laughs) it's It's all very incestuous. Oh, well, and let's not also talk about the way that Fireheart talks Talks about about princess. princess. Yeah, but, you know, even besides that, the idea of, like, this is your clan and no outsiders allowed, I'm like, okay, and who, how long does that last before you're all, I mean, but I have the same issue with, like, my family (laughs) being like, we need to find you a nice Irish boy 
from your dad's hometown. I'm like, my dad has 90 first cousins. Yeah, I'm like, I, I'm probably related to half the people here. I won't because I can't. Also, I'm gay, but whatever. Whatever. No, but really, it's like they're all mad at Fireheart Plus for chain migrating Mm -hmm. as if they're not, you know, a tiny clan that needs more cats and also is kind of already really incestuous. You see a lot of similarities to the xenophobia in the US in regards to like migrants where, you know, we have this, well, I say we, racist people have this idea that, you know, if we allow some migrants in, then they're going to have, you know, quote unquote, anchor babies, and they're just going to be bringing more and more of them in, and then we'll, we won't be able to stop them. And then you get all those ideas of like, white replacement and all of that gross fascist garbage. I wonder if it really is a like, one to one relationship here between you know, this this real-life xenophobia and what we're seeing in the books. In real life, you could argue that it's good to have migrant workers come into this country so that they can work because then, you know, we're more productive and we can make new stuff and, you know, it, it will be good for the economy. But the issue comes when we have to see immigrants as actual human beings that are equal and should have rights and healthcare and and similarly in the warrior cats books you know you can sort of understand the idea of needing to bring in outside cats to have a more stable population and to have more people to hunt and catch food but the issue comes when they have to see these kitty pets as warriors that's the issue is like they're okay bringing in outside cats to help them they don't want to have those outside cats be seen as equals to them like that's where the issue is well and my question would be would they be okay with an outside cat coming in as a full-time mother like as a queen not a warrior oh is it about like the title of warrior and the ritual of like you have to first be an apprentice and earn your name and hold vigil and all of this because there's all these rituals that define being a warrior but really it's just like hello are you an adult cat aged 25 to 40 you know uh, in cat years well then you are a warrior like i don't know has there ever been a cat who was like no you're a crappy apprentice so you can't be anything else like those guys just kind of defect right like ravenpaw left and will forever now be ravenpaw and i mean cinderpaw tangentially not necessarily related to cinderpaw but on the topic of medicine cats um yeah it's interesting how that is an extremely like specific job (laughs) that requires a very specific skill set and yet there never seems to be any trouble with like more than one kit wanting to do it yeah and also the fact that there is only ever one medicine cat one like full-time not in training full medicine cat yeah you'd think that maybe they would need more than one but why don't they have apprentices for medicine cats like as a regular thing why would they wait until like someone gets run over by a car before deciding like "Hmm, maybe we should put this one hang make her hang around with yellow fang a bit it's always the gay and disabled kids that they ask to be medicine cats which is like hey oh yeah i mean spotted leaf was able-bodied which uh but she was not well yeah i think she had some i don't think the spotted leaf was neurotypical oh i was thinking more like maybe she wasn't into fireheart 
in that sense. Oh. But I guess that's another explanation as well. All of this book did have a lot of spotted leaf that uh, I didn't really appreciate. Yeah, we, we uh, did get our first official, real spotted leaf vision inside of Fireheart's. Well, not even just in his brain. Like he smelled her, which is super gross. I didn't like saying those words right right then. He smelled her. Yeah, she's like his Obi-Wan Kenobi or something. Yeah, she force-ghosted. Like... <laughs> oh my god. I'm reminded of like spiritualism, as in like the mm-hmm. religion spiritualism uh, and the idea of spirit guides. Yeah. Spotted Leaf <laughs> is like Fireheart's spirit guide and it's kind of funky. Yeah, like he did a seance and, and she's giving him this information that he needs. And he smells her. Ugh, sorry. <laughs> I don't know why that grosses me out so much. I was going to ask if you were familiar with the term, or either of you were familiar with the term of a woman in a refrigerator. Yes. <sighs> That's the like trope of dead women to give men like characterization, right? Yeah. And I just thought that spotted leaf. Oh. Like completely. Oh, it is. She's oh. a refrigerator girlfriend cat. Gross. And now she's showing up not to like further whatever goals or desires or wants she had in her life, but uh, to help Fireheart. Even after her death, she still has to be something for Fireheart to draw strength from. It's weird though, because at the same time, she's obsessed with him and therefore it becomes in a weird way her life purpose. Yeah, it's like her life didn't begin until she met him. And then it ended right after she met him. <laughs> Lola read that obituary or, or that summary of her life and it just it didn't start until like book one obituary for real though how it makes me wonder how young she was maybe she was just like slightly older than him I don't know because it said if only she had been a few moons younger it's kind of giving Anakin and Padme I won't lie <gasps> oh it is oh it's very like are you an angel no I'm Natalie Portman <laughs> And then she dies. Same thing. Can we also talk about the stinky fish girlfriend as in, I have a conspiracy about Graystripe and Silverstream. Okay. As long as this conspiracy does not contain spoilers, because this is one of the few things that I do actually remember distinctly from this series. So. Me as well. Um, <laughs> love Silverstream, by the way. Sorry, I keep referring to her as the stinky fish girlfriend, but I think it's funny. Um, <laughs> do we think they met before their meet cute? Okay, see, that was also a thought that I had this while I was reading this book. I think the timeline is a little, dare I say, fishy. I think someone's writing their uh, resignation letter right now from that clicking I heard. No, I'm, I'm looking up some important inter- information that I am not allowed to tell you what it is. Okay. I, I thought it was kind of strange that they got together so quickly. Like, I guess a brush of death would do that to someone. But even so, it, it didn't seem as smooth a fit as the book was trying to portray it as. So the fact that maybe the idea of there being some backstory there. Yeah, maybe. I think their first meeting was too flirty. It was suspiciously flirty. I guess it comes down to whether you believe in like love at first sight and whether they did just fall desperately madly in love with each other during that moment. But I do also think the way that this book covers like trauma and like PTSD and the way that like going through all of these horrific things that these cats go through um, changes you. You see that with Graystripe where, you know, right near the beginning of the book, he accidentally kills a RiverClan warrior. And then later he himself almost dies while falling in the icy river. 
you see these mood changes with him and you see that he becomes very quiet and introverted and melancholy. You know, I, I don't know that we can ascribe that to anything but trauma. I guess his relationship with Silverstream, it could be explained, you know, why it all happened so quickly by that trauma. You know, like, is it any wonder that he would latch onto this, I, I want to say woman, but I don't know if that's, am I allowed to call female cats women? Sure, why not? They're anthropomorphic. He, he latches onto this woman during a really dark period in his life and like she is the one who saved him literally um like both physically and through their relationship mentally and emotionally i like the conspiracy i did get the vibes while reading that maybe they had met before and it was just sort of like a cover-up and like maybe that's why she was there to save him in the first place but I, so I do think flirty. that the trauma that the trauma could be also an alternative explanation for the immediacy of their super deep, super passionate love affair. If the series is just like, they're soulmates, <laughs> cool. I'm totally down with the idea of soulmates. Um, but why is it that like by the time Fireheart gets to them, they've definitely seen each other a couple more times, right? It's like they're seeing each other every day. Where do they find the time? Well, everyone is off napping. The positioning of Silverstream as a princess, Ugh. as like the River Clan princess, because I thought that she's... was a little over the top. Yeah, I think it's stupid. It just feels so cliche. That's kind of part of it, right? Is it's like if the clan leaders are divinely ordained by Star Clan and given nine lives, does that then make Silverstream, like, also uniquely divine? Or is she just, like, a cat? I mean, I feel like we get conflicting information because on the one hand, there is this obsession with, like, your blood and your clan, if not your, you know, quote-unquote family. But on the other hand, like, you very rarely, at least to my knowledge, you very rarely get uh, clan leaders that are parents and their children. Like, you don't see that very often. Don't those powers have to be bestowed on them by Star Yeah, Clan? and like the one place we did see it, I guess, so far at least, is in Shadow Clan, and they're the bad guys. Sorry, I was just Googling who Graystripe's parents even are. Um, and, uh, they, they were indeed full-blooded brother and sister. <gasps> no. What? Oh, Is this just something they never mentioned in the books that fans figured out or what? Do we know that for sure? Is that, is that 100% for sure? Is that in a prequel book? Yeah, I'm, I'm searching for it. Or maybe he just says it at one point, like. My parents were brother and sister. There's nothing wrong with that. His mother was Willow Pelt. You can't look up any of this, Jose, because there's lots of spoilers. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't say who his father is on the official wiki, but all there's all these articles like why was is why is Graystripe an incest baby? Because I guess that someone worked out that it had to have been Patch Pelt, who was his father, who is Willow Pelt's brother. I so. am skeptical of that all of the mysterious incest stuff floating around this children's series yeah can we talk about the parallels between graystripe is falling for this literal river clan princess and fireheart is spending a lot of time with his sister princess i don't like that i don't like thinking that they are parallel because that's gross and i think it's icky it is icky <laughs> 
Oof. I feel really bad for Dustpaw and Sandpaw. Our heroes are apprentices after Dustpaw and Sandpaw, um, but Dustpaw and Sandpaw only become warriors at the end of book two. Yes. Which is not fair. Correct. Well, neither of them are the chosen one, so. There is this entitlement, too, because Fireheart is always like, I need to hang out with Blue Star. I need to talk to Blue Star, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, I know that you were her apprentice for like two minutes, but cut it out. Oh, yeah, he he knows that he's special, and it's it's a little sad. It's this like, why is everyone treating me differently? It's only that I'm like extremely cool, special, handsome, smart, mystical. Yeah, he's starting to get visions in this book, too. It's kind of giving like Ebony Darkness Dementia Ray even way <laughs> crying because she's too beautiful oh yeah i mean you know if if fireheart were a girl she would be a uh, a mary sue or a me- meowy sue well done <laughs> thank you i think he's flawed enough that he's a realistic character but honestly in this book i think that fireheart's characterization was great like i liked him even more by the end of this book than I did at the end of the previous book. Agreed. Well, the first book, he didn't really know who he was. And this one, he feels a little more defined, like he's coming into his own. The Aaron Hunters had the courage to make him a hypocrite. So that's cool. Like one of my favorite parts of this book, as far as Fireheart's characterization, at least, he's very kind, especially to older cats, like the elders and like Yellowfang, especially. I mean, he is always so respectful and like he sees them as equals. Whereas I think a lot of the times in the clans, you see people who are like, oh, they're just the elders, like they can't fight or hunt very well anymore. So like, they're not, you know, helpful members of society. And the elders are the ones who accept him first mm-hmm. too. Um, like the mother of Cinderpaw, who's uh, makes special mention that she remembered how Fireheart was the one who rescued her kits. Yeah. Uh, do we want to talk about the tiger claw stuff? <sighs> What even is there to talk about? I mean, I know there's a lot, but like... I think it'd be boiled down to like a lot of shifty eyes. A lot of just like, you look at Tiger Claw and he's just like got shifty eyes going back and forth and like, he's up to something. And like, so one thing that I didn't like talking also, I guess, about the pacing of this book is through most of this book, I would say the first like two thirds of it, there is this like genuine uncertainty as to whether Ravenpaw was telling the truth or whether he was lying or whether he misremembered and whether Tigerclaw is actually evil or whether he's fine and it's all a misunderstanding. And like by the end of the book, Tigerclaw is just legitimately, genuinely kind of evil. I noticed a lot in the first half of him siding with Tigerclaw whenever he was admonishing Fireheart. Mm-hmm. He would talk to Bluestar and be like, I don't know if uh, he's ready. He's just like a brand new warrior. Or he would say like, Fireheart, you're being too lenient with Cinderpaw. You have to be able to more lay down the law a bit more. Fireheart, what are you doing going into River Clan territory? I was just being like, yeah, Tigerclaw is making some valid points here. Yeah, like he is a genuinely good leader, I think. I mean, not capital L leader, but like he is a smart and, you know, he he's very good at strategy and like leading the other cats in hunting parties and raiding parties and stuff like tiger claw is competent maybe that's the problem though he doesn't know his place within the clan he doesn't realize he is where he needs to be and not uh the leader Mm, he's too ambitious yeah those those darn ambitious cats (laughs) i don't know lola where do you stand on this tiger claw issue i honestly just kind of wish he was a more in-depth character 
which hopefully he gets further fleshed out. But as of book two, he there's barely anything going on with him except that he's ambitious. Um, also, I didn't realize, but there is an obituary for Oak Heart mm. that we didn't read last episode. However, I cannot read it because it contains so many spoilers. I don't know that we really got to know Oak Heart anyway. Yes, except we will. Wow. That's the trouble is we don't even know who he is when he dies, but then later in the series, they're like, oh, you know the guy who died? Well, actually, blah, 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 he was a big blah, deal. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. He was intimately tied with all of these things that you found out about in book one and two. And I'm like, wait, what? Dun, dun, dun. The lore thickens. Well, it'll be interesting to see which cats get their backstories filled out and which don't. Because it didn't sound like Spotted Leaf got any of that. So no, good for Ocard, I guess. Yeah, and yet Spotted Leaf is this constant presence. I just want to think this like Obi-Wan spotted leaf apparition is in fireheart's head like this is just him having some kind of mental breakdown and he's imagining spotted leaf guiding him if only there's still just like the last book there's a lot of violence in this one for instance near the beginning when they are saving wind clan and they have to cross the thunder path there is a queen and her kit and she carries her kit across the thunder path even though fireheart is like no i should carry the kit for you because and this is a quote she and her kit would live or die together. It's like, this is a book for children. And it's it's a suicide pact with your infant child. And it's just very dark. Yes, but at the same time, it's reinforcing that, like, if you're born a she-cat in this world, it is your expectation to have kits or serve your clan. Yep. Uh, also, White Cough and Green Cough. I don't know if we need to have some sort of like content warning, but a little bit of a gross question. Is the difference between White Cough and Green Cough the difference between like a cold and the flu where like you have, <laughs> when you cough, you have like clear mucus versus green mucus? Yeah, I interpreted like White Cough is like a cold and Green Cough is like pneumonia. But is like that, is that why it's white and green? When I had pneumonia, I was coughing green. So. Yeah, I assumed it was the same way it works for humans. I, I guess for the cats of this book, it works the same way. Is that biologically accurate? That's the question. I don't know. <laughs> we need a cat biologist cats on here. coughing green. Feline upper respiratory tract infections oh, okay. are a frequent cause. Okay. Mucus is clear in a healthy cat, but a cat with respiratory disease may have green mucus coming from the nose. Awesome. Okay. So it's essentially a cold versus an infection. Green cough is the scary one. Yes. And another sad death for Blue Star. Like first the rats, now a cough. Yeah. Like for being such a powerful woman, I get, I hate using that. She's a cat. She's a cat. For being such a powerful, powerful she-cat. Yeah, for being such a powerful she-cat, she sure does have a lot of deaths that are kind of like pathetic causes. And I, I, it's not to say that like, you know, like, oh, she's weak because she was killed by rats. But like, as a character, I mean, you'd think that they would have given her more, you know, dramatic or like high stakes kind of deaths. If you guys listen carefully, you might be able to hear my cat hunting <gasps> socks outside. Yes. Because she is like Wait, in the background. Is your cat right now. hunting socks or is that her name? 
hunting socks. Oh, her name is Mia, but she hunts socks for fun because she's um she's on steroids for her asthma, which makes her extremely aggressive. So she gets a hold of like little pieces of fabric and murders them. She even amazing. delivers like the death shake. Ah, uh-huh. It's amazing. That is amazing. She's a fierce little thing. But yeah, if you listen carefully, you can probably hear her in the background. Um, I did notice there was a lot of exposition in this book. They also overused the word scrabble or scrabbling. And that I bugged me the whole time. Hated it. That it really bothered me. Um, but that's about it as far as my <gasps> I heard that. <laughs> that really was bad. incredible. <gasps> yeah, this yes. this is her. Yes. I just opened my door a little. Wow. We're going to have to keep some of those in. So- <laughs> Maybe I should, that's the ones we should use for the, um, thank you, baby, for the intro. <laughs> that to me is what warrior cats sound like, I think. Oh, my, my, I just heard my dad pick her up and take her downstairs. So. Yeah. Well, I guess before we wrap up, let's do a little memorial just for the two important and named cats who lost their lives in this book. We have Clawface, the awful, evil ex, ex Shadow Clan warrior, bravely killed by Greystripe. And then we have also killed by Greystripe. I guess these are both Greystripe uh, wow. deaths in this book. Yeah. We Good have, for you, incest baby. Ugh. We have <laughs> White Claw, and I think we should crack open a cold one with the boys and pour one out for poor White Claw. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, grab my coffee and just... I was, I was telling my husband about that <laughs> and about how I was so excited to make that joke, and he said that I should have you... Uh, I should tell you that you should put in a, like, pop can opening sound effect in in the final edit. Perfect. <laughs> crack open a cold one? Well, crack open an icy one. Yeah. We should this all... This is fire and ice, baby. Yeah, we should all be drinking White Claws tonight in honor of <laughs> our fallen River Clan brethren. <laughs> Damn. This poor cat. We never really got to know him. No. Who he was, what he was about. Rip chucked fishy off a boy. Go fall off a gorge. Um. So what do we what do we think about this? And do we want to do it on a scale of like one to five, one to ten? Let's do one to ten. On a scale of one to ten, now that we have sort of a baseline for these books, now that we've read the first one, yeah, I guess we can rate both of them now, sort of in relation to each other. So how would you guys rate these first two books that we have read? Into the Wild is the superior book. I'm just trying to think of like, how much better is it really? Because Fire and Ice, like it had some issues. I didn't think, I don't know. I feel like you were both down on it a bit more than I was, even though it is definitely the inferior book. I would probably give Into the Wild like a six. See, I would have been a bit more generous. I would have seven? given Into the Wild like a seven. Yeah. yeah seven is fair. Sure. Thank you. <laughs> what do you think, Zoe? For Into the Wild? Yes. Yeah, I, I think I agree with Jose. I think it's a seven. I think it's a solid seven seven and a half and then i think fire and ice is like a five. Oh well maybe we are on the same page on that one because that's kind of what i was thinking too maybe i am way too critical maybe i was i think that fire and ice is a four Ooh, burn yeah should we create like a ranking list like a tier list somewhere maybe at some point yeah i can keep track yeah i would love that so into the wild let's see Jose said seven. Perfect. We'll, uh... we'll see if our math holds. 
Okay. Uh, you had the biggest gap between the two of them. So, Jose, now that yes. you have two of these books under your belt, what would you like to see going forward? What do you expect to see? How has this book changed how you are thinking about this series based on how you were thinking about it when you had just read the previous book? I definitely see the prophecy being a bit more complicated. In the previous book, I thought it's like, this is Fireheart's story through and through beginning to end. And while it still is, towards the end of the book, it made it seem as though Wind Clan is somehow going to play into this or at least that weird vision Fireheart was having mm -hmm. about fire and wind clan and like maybe they're a piece of this puzzle as well. So maybe the prophecy is more complicated, or at least that's what I'm hoping. If this just ends up being Fireheart's story, I mean, it is what it is, um, but I expect it, I guess. Yeah, like we were saying earlier, he seems to be a, an agent of improving upon the status quo, but not radically changing it. Uh, this seems to be a book about upholding this cat society for all its... And making it better, but Cat I, don't know. I don't think the structural problems will be addressed. Catsiety, yes. As for where we're going to see these clans in the future, I feel like Wind Clan is is kind of just going to bounce around and be sort of dopey. I'm hoping <laughs> they'll figure it out and get it together. Uh, River Clan, I don't know. I'm just giving them eternal side eye because they're just so shady, uh, which is not where I thought they were going. I was hoping they'd be a little different, but and Shadow Clan are just bad, which is. <laughs> disappointing they're just bad um okay that's... or are they <gasps> i hope not i hope we can see a different side of shadow clan and yeah i think blue stars on borrow time i'm fully accept expecting blue star to die if not in the next book then the one after because i mean i don't know maybe there'll be a heavy wind and it'll like knock her over and she'll <laughs> lose her last life <laughs> she'll step on a pine needle i expect big things from cloudpaw can i just say I honestly found Cloudkit kind of irritating. Oh, I agree. Like, extremely irritating. Well, think about him is, you know, the sky's really the limit for him. Ugh. Constantly <laughs> undermining everything, making me question everything. I remember Forest of Secrets being one of my favorite Warriors books of all time yeah. as a kid. So I'm, and it has a very dramatic death. I can say no more. I don't remember. Oh, so thank you all so much for listening to the Only Warrior Cats podcast, where we are the only Warrior Cats podcast. Remember, help control the pet population. Please spay and neuter your pets. <laughs> and until next time, I know that I just said this, but we have been the Only Warrior Cats podcast. And remember, fire alone can save our clan. The Only Warrior Cats podcast is hosted by Zoe B, Lola Sebastian, and Jose, and is edited by Lola Sebastian. Our intro music was written and performed by Neil Farrell of The Leftist Cooks, and our podcast art was drawn by Odd McName. The Only Warrior Cats podcast is produced by Nebula. If you'd like to support the show, you can come join the clan over at patreon.com slash theonlywarriorcatspodcast, where memberships start at just $1 a month. You can get lots of cool perks like end-of-episode shoutouts, having your cat's meows be forever enshrined as a podcast sound effect, and getting access to our exclusive bonus episodes where we cover all the Warriors content outside the main series. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you again soon.